1: Are you concerned about your twins' language development? Well, today we're with Sarah Tugud, who's a speech and language pathologist, and we're here to talk about twin developmental milestones, speech and language. This is Twin Talks, episode 13. The ultrasound shows your babies to be healthy. What? Did you say Babies? you're huge are you having twins are they natural which one do you like better
0: twins huh my neighbor's cousin's brother's uncle's a twin so
1: can they read each other's minds how do you tell them apart twins you got a two for one do twins run in your family double trouble you're not having any more are you At least
2: you're not octo mom
1: if you're pregnant with twins or you're an experienced twin parent odds are you've heard it all before now it's time to hear from the experts this is twin talks parenting times two Welcome to Twin Talks, broadcasting from the Birth Education Center of San Diego. Twin Talks is your weekly online, on-the-go support group for expecting a new parents of twins. So I'm your host, Christine Stewart Fitzgerald. Have you heard about the Twin Talks Club? Our members get bonus content for each new show, plus special giveaways and discounts. And you can subscribe to our monthly Twin Talks newsletter and learn about the latest episodes available. And then another way for you to stay connected is by downloading our free Twin Talks app. And it's available both the iTunes and the Android Marketplace. Before we jump in, we're just going to do a quick round of introductions here. So I'll start with myself here. I've got a set of four-year-old identical girl twins. And I also have a singleton as well, who's one year old, and it's, it's, interesting because my uh, my four-year-olds, recently we've noticed that they've had some difficulty in articulating words, um, some consonant blends. So we actually just started doing um, some speech therapy to help them in articulation. And then my youngest singleton, who's 15 months, um she's I guess uh, considered a little bit delayed. She's not speaking words. she's still kind of doing the babbling, so our pediatrician uh, just recommended that we get her screened as wow. well. so um, so I have to say this is a definitely a topic close to home. yeah, so I'm gonna throw this over to, uh, to Shelley here.
0: Hi, I'm Shelley. I'm the producer here at Twin Talks. I'm also a high school history teacher. I have 18 month old twin boys who are just kind of starting to discover words. Um, It's a fun (laughs) age because (laughs) every day is something new and different. Um, And we've noticed that, um, yeah, they seem to be pretty much on track. But I'm always, you know, a little bit concerned when I hear about these 18 month olds with 100 plus word vocabularies, um, you know, videos (laughs) of them, you know, singing the national anthem.
3: (laughs) Uh, And I'm Sunny. I have baby girls, uh, baby girl twins. I was trying to think of the infants. I guess they're the infant stage. Is that two and a half months? Is that considered an infant? They're an infant, yes. Okay. So I have infant twin girls identicals. And um, I'm just looking for them to like coo or babble or something, you know, as far as talking's concerned. um, You know, I have a lot of talking already going on in my house because I've got two older boys. I've got a three-year-old boy and um, a 21-month-old boy. And I will say um, my three-year-old is in speech classes. Um, he had delayed speech. He's, he's a very smart kid. I know, like, every parent says that. But he is. He's very smart. He can do a lot of, like, really difficult puzzles and figure things out. Um, but socially, he's a little... I don't, I don't know what it is. He's a little off, I have to admit. And and to go along with that is the speech. Um, you know, we're at a point now, he can definitely talk more than, you know, my 21 month old, but at the same time my 21 month old was a lot further along at 21 months than my three year old was. And I think part of that is too, and I'm sure we'll talk about this a little bit, is that, you know, um, siblings, they learn better from one another usually than, you know, other people like adults and stuff like that. They seem to pick up on language a little bit better. So I have my ear to the ground when it comes to the girls because I've already kind of experienced this you know every Thursday and Friday we're taking our three-year-old speech class so um, I'm already and, and I myself I should say when I started kindergarten they made me do speech hmm. so friends in the family yeah yeah <laughs> so yeah this, this is a topic that's close to my heart as well oh interesting
1: Well, you know, before we jump in um, and talk about that, we wanted to go to um, some headlines in the news, and I'm going to turn this over to Shelly.
0: Yeah, so here at Twin Talks, we're always kind of keeping an ear out for twins in the media. Um, The most interesting story we've encountered recently was you might have heard about the New Year's twins who were born in separate years. So it actually looks like there was two different mothers who gave birth to two of the last babies of 2013 and two of the first babies of 2014. So born just minutes apart. We had twin babies who were actually born in different years. Um, So, you know, December 31st, 2013 at 11.58 p.m., a baby girl. And then just soon after at 12.01 a.m. on January 1st, 2014, a baby boy. Um, The father said it was wonderful and joyful and he's, he's just happy and delighted. But you know, at, speaking as a twin mom myself, I just kept thinking, what about their taxes? I mean, oh, you only gosh. get to claim one kid. <laughs>
3: <laughs>
1: yeah, yeah, and I think I mean I can imagine just you know all the forms you must fill out, and then you've got like two different birthdays, and then you have to explain. Oh no, no, really, that's what I'm thing. thinking. Yeah. The
3: <laughs> explanation that these Every kids are going to have their whole life. Yeah, you're not, you're not a twin. You were born in a different year. <laughs> I mean, seriously, because I don't know if that many people are going to look that closely at the month.
0: And then what about cutoff dates for sports? I mean, aren't those January 1st for some. Oh, oh really?
3: Oh my gosh, I wouldn't even think of that. I, c- can't the doctor kind of fudge that a little bit? Like, <laughs> the mom might be like, no, 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 no still 2013. You know, my yeah. yeah. No, no. yeah.
0: <laughs> Aunties, who are twins, were allegedly born on separate days, um, but they actually had the doctor kind of just do a little bit of fudging on the right. time there to give them the same birthday on the birth certificate, so I wonder how common that is.
1: That, yeah, that would be interesting. Now, now I was just thinking, there, there's got to be an upside, because Okay, most twins, in having the same birthday, I mean, you know, they're sharing everything, including the whole birthday celebration, birthday party... So now, I so guess, now it's the day off. though. So they get different birthdays. I mean, does that mean that the parents get to you know I, have two I different read, birthday parties? Are they yes. going to parties? I actually read that. I read that online.
3: One of those couples that Shelley was talking about. Um, one of the couples is going to um, have different days for their birthdays. So they're, but is it is it really going to be that different? You know, it's it's kind of like if your birthday's near Christmas, you're kind of it's messed up no matter what. Yeah. Whether you celebrate on the twenty fourth or twenty fifth, doesn't matter, right? <laughs> Isn't the same thing
1: here. You yeah. kinda messed up. I don't yeah, I don't know. I don't I guess don't but they're not sharing something. So yeah. I mean maybe that's
0: it makes exciting a, news,
1: but I'm glad it wasn't mine. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Me too. Yeah. I think it's probably better for the twins and a pain in the butt for the parents. Yes. Yes. All the logistics <laughs> around it, right? Yeah. There you go. <laughs> Today's topic is twin developmental milestones, um, speech and language. And so we're talking with uh Sarah Good, and she's here to help us um, identify and address important milestones for speech and language. So thanks for joining us, Sarah. Yes, yeah,
2: absolutely. It's great. I mean, I can hear that I'm speaking with a bunch of really fun and informed parents. So <laughs>
1: is- oh, well, thank you. <laughs> you know, we wonder when it comes to twins you know, versus singletons, do you see in your practice that, I mean, are twins more susceptible to speech problems compared to singletons? So this is a really good question, and it does come up a
2: lot. And I think the root answer comes from what else twins are susceptible to. So, you know, in terms of their other medical susceptibilities, if twins are more likely to have premature birth, they're likely to have a lot of the other medical problems associated with it. So, you know, from being born with a not as completely developed brain, these things could happen um, later along the developmental trajectories too. So, yeah, we often see Queens come in with some sort of, you know, come to the hospital with some sort of medical problem, but a co-occurring speech delay and other develop- developmental delays as well.
1: And so it sounds like, do you see that early on? Or, I mean, is is that, um, do, do you see problems with, let's just say, you know, babies, you know, or compared to um, preschoolers? Is there, is there a difference in sort of when the parents can identify that there might be um, an issue with speech? The true answer is this can be identified at any age or stage along the spectrum of development,
2: um, I think that you may have some sort of sense of uh, later and higher level development um, from looking at the earlier and more basic development. So kids, in terms of their motor skills, for example, they develop gross motor before they develop fine motor. Speech is a motor skill. So if you see some gross motor delays, like they're not sucking, they're not latching, they're not moving their mouths and tongues the same way at the very, very basic stage, you can assume that this gross motor delay, as the speech mechanism is trying to define its fine motor movements, there may be delays there.
1: Hmm. So yeah, I guess, you know, I've never thought of speech as being a motor skill. So um, I've always thought of it as being sort of more that the cognitive skill. You know, can you give us an example of maybe something that parents might see and go, ooh, that doesn't seem like that's right?
2: Sure. Yeah, I mean, first, first I kind of want to define terms the way a speech, she talks about them, <laughs> the way a speech therapist uses their words might be a little bit different. Um, so speech refers to the production of the sounds, right? And language refers to the combinatorial ability that your brain has to put words together into ideas and sentences. So when we call ourselves speech-language pathologists, we're looking at disorders of the speech mechanism, the motor skill, and the language production ability, so the cognitive part of it as well. Um, But I just wanted to set those words out there before we got any farther. Um, But you said, is there something that we can look for really early on? I think parents are very in tune with what their kids want, so they are really good anticipators. They see the glimmer in the kid's eye and they know, oh, that specific glimmer means hungry and that specific glimmer means tired. Mm -hmm. I think if parents take a step back from their natural tendency to just assume and give a couple seconds of wait time, they'll be able to see like a little potential in their kid. What would this kid do to communicate I like to use communicate instead of speech or language because it's both of them. Mm-hmm. What, what would this kid do to communicate if I didn't meet their needs immediately? And then from there, you might kind of have a sense, oh, they didn't try any harder. They got really frustrated or they tried a gesture, they tried a, a babble. So I, I think parents, I, it's going to be really hard to find out a sign unless you take a step back and watch your kid without your help.
1: So in your terms, so speech is really more about the, the production of the sounds, you know, forming, yeah. and then the language is really talking about, you know, how are they understanding? It's a cognitive side. How are they understanding and, um, and communicating the ideas behind it? Yeah. Okay. So
2: language has, yeah, language has those two components. You've exactly defined them, and I'll just give you the words that we use. Receptive for what you can understand and expressive for what you can communicate outwardly.
1: Oh, okay. Now, um, we're just wondering, when it comes to twins, I mean, well, twins and singletons, do you see any major differences between boys and girls in terms of you know the development of speech and language? You know, I hate
2: to say it, but yes. <laughs> and it doesn't last long. You know, this is not going to be for the rest of their lives. Um, but there are certain things that kind of show up earlier for females than males in terms of language development. And it's really because of their nature as social beings, um, language, I mean, so communication, let's use the broadest term there. Of course, of course, there's a motor component, and that's speech. Of course, there's a cognitive component, and that's language and the way we combine the words to understand them and to produce, you know, uh, something that someone else can understand. But a huge part of it is social, you know, communication developed out of social necessity to understand and be understood. So because of the way that uh, young females and young males interact differently in, in their social needs, the language comes out differently. And, I mean, we can be super generalist about it and talk about how boys are very physical and active and how girls are very, are a little more meticulous and analytical, and that's where it comes from. But, you know, it's bigger than that. It's more than that. But if that helps you understand and explain why females are a little earlier for some of these language milestones then that's a fine way to understand it.
1: Mm-hmm. No, that's great. And so I guess it sounds like for Sunny, uh, for you then, you might have a completely different experience with your girls than your boys. And I'm hoping. Were- <laughs>
3: yeah, yeah, <laughs> oh, Really, and, and really it's just my older son. Like I said, the second one seems to be picking up on it a lot more. Um, but do you see that, Sarah, with uh, siblings? Do you see like the second you know, born or whatever, picking up stuff more from an older child? You know, I I actually can see it go
2: either way. I mean, there's no family structure that's going to be exactly the same to the next. But there are two kinds of classes of problems that happen here that come to me. One is, like you're saying, the younger one just picks up so fast, and then the parents start to worry about the older one. Like, what's happening here? Well, what's happening is, like you guys said in your introduction, Kids learn so much from their siblings. They're sponges, and they're just picking it up from their peer communicators. We communicate like our peers, and siblings are their peers. So that's one end. And fear not, parents. Your older kids are okay. Uh, <laughs> the second one is we have an older sibling, you know, a 4-year-old girl, and then we have a younger sibling, an 18-month-old boy, and my 18-month-old boy is not getting the same milestone. Well, A, there's the boy-girl factor we just talked about. But B, I love to tell parents about the can't get a word in edgewise syndrome. (laughs) If you are highly verbal parents, if you have a highly verbal older child, what time throughout the day does your younger kid have to communicate? So this takes me back to my point about step back, give the kid space and time to try to interject. And you may have to work with your older child on that by giving them quiet activities. Good luck. (laughs)
1: Hmm. But that's, I mean, that's kind of an interesting thought to uh, say rather than the parents doing all the talking, but really giving the kid opportunities to, to talk.
2: Exactly. And yeah, I'm going to, I'm going to say some buzzwords to you guys that are my favorite buzzwords to say to parents. Opportunity, not pressure. So you need to give the kid an opportunity, not pressure to be that awesome baseball pitcher. You need to give a kid an opportunity, but not pressure to speak and communicate when they're very young. And there's there's little trick ways we can do this, but many parents just do them naturally. The first one is wait time. You know, say something, model, show them what you want them to do to communicate, and then, you know, hold yourself back for three to five seconds. Another way is through anticipation. So if I say, ready, set, the anticipation is you fill in that gap with the word go or if i say a b c d e f you have something in you that really wants to say g uh, <laughs> So build on what these kids know and how they can anticipate what comes next and then stop yourself and let's see if they use that anticipation to fill in and to, to seize that opportunity to speak Hmm.
1: anticipate so it sounds like you know so many times using songs and poems and some of these these rhyming things um for kids it builds on anticipation mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. so it becomes yeah. familiar and they just jump right on no, it. no i know
0: with my boys they love the head and shoulders knees and toes song um and they don't they can't say shoulders or knees um or point <laughs> to them <laughs> but they get really excited and they'll often look at me and they'll point at their head and say head and then they'll kind of They're watch and if i off. if i wait mm-hmm. then they'll Like, if I don't fill it in, they'll point to their own toes and say toes, you know, and then they'll do it again to see if I'll kind of like follow along with them. So you can kind of watch them like trying to connect it together. They know that it goes, you know, now I can see them do it. They'll do it with their dolls. They'll point to the doll's head and the doll's toes. Um, with our dog, too.
1: <laughs> oh, that's cute. That's very cute. <laughs> that's now- a lot of toes on that <laughs> Yes. <laughs> that's going to be a long game. No, no I was just wondering. to know, you know, we, you know, we kind of talked about sort of the idea of, you know, sort of, we have these developmental milestones. You know, what ages should, should kids be doing certain things we should be looking for?
2: Good question. And unfortunately, this is the way pediatricians think. They think ages. For a speech and language therapist, I think stages. So first, I'm going to not answer your question, but <laughs> I will answer your question. Um, so I like to think in stages. Is my kid doing this? Well, then what would the next thing be and how can I get them there? If we lock ourselves into ages, we just become these anxious parents and kids feed off your anxiety and want to know what, what what's going on, why is mommy so worried about me saying my F sound or whatever it is. Um, so think about where, you know, zones of proximal development for you psych people out there. What is the next step and how can I scaffold this kid or pull myself back to give them the opportunity to get to that next step? Um, so always thinking about what's next, not, oh, my gosh, are they meeting up where they need to be? So now let me give you some just very basic milestones to keep in your head. And I'm terrible at math, so these are really easy for you. <laughs> one is one, two is two, three is three. Okay, If you're using single words at age one, you're pretty much all right. If they're doing combined two-word phrases at age two, you're pretty much all right. If they're getting to three-word phrases at age three, you're pretty much all right. Um, Same thing for... So that would be expressive language, how they are communicating outwardly. Mm -hmm. Now let's go to receptive. Guess what? One is one, two is two, three is three. If they're following one-step directions at age one, you're great. If they're following two-step directions at age two, you're great. If they're following three-step directions, they're ready to participate in preschool because that's what we expect of kids in preschool. Now, if you want more detail, give me a call, come to the hospital, we'll get more picky. But that's kind of a a general place to think about. Um, Now let's talk about how well your kid can be understood. Um, There's a word out there called intelligibility. Don't think this has anything to do with intelligence because it only has a couple of letters in common. It's not the same. Intelligibility is how well you're understood. So if a kid is 50% intelligible to me, I can understand 50% of what they're trying to say through their babbles and whatnot. So here's the rule. It's not a one is one, two is two. Sorry, I'm going to go one, one level higher with you guys here. Okay, ready. By, <laughs> Are ready. You ready? It's, it's divide by four. So a two-year-old divide by four is going to give you a percent, 50%. For a two-year-old that I just met today, I should be able to understand about 50% of what they're trying to tell me. A three-year-old that I just met today, three over four. I might need pen and paper for this. Seventy-five percent. I should be able to understand. They should be seventy-five percent intelligible to a new listener, not mom. Mom should be a hundred plus percent, <laughs> and they always are. You believe me. So, if you want milestones for receptive, expressive language, um, and speech intelligibility, those are rough. Um, it's when they start to be really strong at one and kind of lagging in the other. That's when we get concerned. So when their skills aren't commensurate, there's another word that if you want to get speech and language services for your kid, if one set of skills is not commensurate with another, we get concerned about this, like, scattered development. So that's when, um, that's when you might need a push in one area.
1: Earlier, you kind of mentioned um, that sometimes um, kids might have some physical limitations, especially, I mean, if there's maybe they're premature and now they're age-adjusted and there were, you know, maybe some issues, delivery, who knows. Um, You know, what are some of the common physical limitations that might slow down the speech development of toddlers?
2: So I want to go back to the gross motor to fine motor idea. Um, If you are a developing, very young human, The gross motor things that you develop first are, you know, being able to hold your head up, the trunk stability, those kinds of very proximal, so like in the center of your body, very gross motor, like big movement kinds of things. Think about where your, your speech, now we're talking about sound production, right? Think about where that comes from. It comes from a controlled breath. And a controlled exhale. If you don't have trunk stability, you're going to have really weak airflow and you, know, you won't have the breath support for speech. Not saying you're going to notice a kid speaking in a really breathy way, but just a way to think about how it really is a whole body working together and a whole system to create speech production. Once we have good gross trunk stability, we can work on that. Take with that air that's coming up there and make very fine motor movements. The fine motor movements are your tongue and your lips. If you've ever watched yourself talk, like I found myself in a mirror right now, it is a coordinated, perfectly timed, intricate, fine motor task. Much like, you know, if you think of fine motor, the first thing you think of is fingertip tasks. Your tongue and your lips way more difficult than that. So think about You know, if you start, if your kid is screened and they say something to you like maybe you should seek occupational therapy or early intervention physical therapy for trunk stability and transfers and movement transitions, then, okay, think about this. If I don't develop my gross motor very well, the fine motor that needs to go on top of that, it may be delayed as well. So that's speech, production, movement. Um, Now, language development. How can we, what signs early on motor-wise will be predictive of language, like the thinking end of our communication. Um, If the kid is not super aware of their environment, if they don't respond to their environment, they will have no intent to communicate with it. So watching how your kid might be aware of toys that move, are they interested in toys that move more than toys that are just sitting there? So awareness of the environment prompts us to want to interact with our environment. And when kids interact with their environment, the next thing they want to do is control it. You are parents, and you know that I'm right. <laughs> yes, yes. And the way we control our environment is manually with our hands. You know, mm-hmm. we go and turn the light off. Or we also control it with our language. Mom, light off. Right? It's all cause and effect. So if you see your kid's awareness of the environment, willingness and desire to interact with the environment, The next thing will be their willingness, desire, and, you know, innate need to control the environment. When you have that, that's going to be their root desire to have a language.
1: There's also, I know, um, a mouth dysfunctions, too. We're going to take a break. And when we come back, we're going to talk about common dysfunctions that, that kids have. So welcome back. Today we're talking about twin developmental milestones, speech and language with Sarah Tugood.
3: Um, Sarah, I actually had a question. I, w- I was wondering if you could touch on lip ties and tongue ties really briefly. My twin girls, they were born at 35 weeks via cesarean. And um, so a little bit on the preemie side. My lactation consultant originally said that they had a slight tongue tie, which we've been able to do some different exercises to kind of remedy that a little bit. Um, but now um, I got advice from somebody else that they think that they both have a lip tie and i was like okay well what does that mean and you know how does that impact stuff and and they someone had told me you know someone with some sort of medical background (laughs) told me that if that does go unfixed either of those it could result in some delayed speech and is that is that true have you seen that
2: Um, It's it's a big topic, to clip or not to clip. And I'm not the surgeon who does the clipping, so I don't make the recommendations. But let's talk about it a little bit because there are some broad things to know. The first thing is if someone is talking about range of motion of your what we call articulators in speech therapy, but like tongue and lips, if the range of motion is going to be enough for them to have clear speech. And we also talk about strength, like the strength of your tongue. If the kid has a weak tongue, is this not going to be strong enough to make clear speech? And here's something to remember. You use 10% of your oral motor strength to speak. If if your weakness is so delayed that all you got is 10%, that's good enough to be able to speak clearly. So don't think that um, a little bit of weakness is necessarily going to impair speech production and uh, intelligible speech. Um, Now about the ties, you know, a tongue tie, if you look in the mirror and lift the tip of your tongue up, that lingual frenulum, that, you know, it's an important piece of skin there. It holds your tongue to the bottom of your mouth, and it helps with control and balance and whatnot. If it impairs your baby's feeding, if it is too short or restrictive that it impairs your baby's feeding, that is a reason to have medical intervention. If it's not impairing the feeding then it's probably going to be okay. Just like other parts of our body, it can grow. It can, you know, become a little bit more flexible. So if, I mean, breathing is first, eating is next, speaking is way down the line. So if some anatomical or physiological thing is impairing your breathing or your feeding, that's no good. The lip ties, if you pull your bottom lip down or your top lip up, you also have a fenulum there. It kind of does the same thing, it keeps things in place for balance and, you know, coordinated movement and stuff. You don't want it to, it, you know, you want things to move in a normal, coordinated way. If it's impairing feeding, that's when it needs to be medically addressed.
1: For any type of, of speech and, and language disorder, I mean, if um, there has been some form of, um, you know, a, a diagnosis uh, made, we've heard about doing early interventions. I mean, what exactly is an early intervention and, and how does that make a, a difference?
2: when a delay i'm talking globally so speech language motor fine motor whatever when a delay is identified early not only is the duration of the kid's therapy going to be shorter than if it was found later and the severity of their future delays will be less so one one thing that i can put into your mind is that early language development is predictive not causal but part of the correlation is predictive of later academic achievement. So in terms of literacy, early language and speech development is a, you know, is a, has correlation to a kid's reading and overall academics later in their, you know, early elementary and beyond.
1: Hmm, interesting. So in other words, if the kids are, are using language you know, on their own in an expressive way, then you're basically you're saying that they can have more success later on into the, the school years within an academic setting.
2: I'm saying that it's one predictive factor. Um, there are, of course, a multitude of other predictive factors, including those social pressures that you have no control of as a parent.
0: Yeah, I know. I mean, you know, we've all got anecdotal stories, but my cousin's son... Um, He wasn't talking at all by two, so no words, not the two-word sentences you'd look for. And so she was worried because, of course, her older daughter, you know, was full sentences by 18 months. Um, And, you know, they wondered if part of it was he couldn't get a word in edgewise, kind of. But um, they ended up having him evaluated for early intervention, and he, he qualified for services. And he went, I mean, you know, at two and a half, five days a week you know, to half days of school, but, um, I mean, it, it made a world of difference for him. I mean, this, you wouldn't even know it was the same kid after, wow. you know, just a year in the program and he's seven now, eight, just turning eight, you mm-hmm. know, and he's at or above grade level and everything. And it's like, this was a kid who had, you know, significant language communication delays wow. at a
1: young yeah. age.
2: Just- and another thing to think about too, and I only basically, I only briefly mentioned the social part of it. This is the age where kids are not cognitively developed enough to have this idea of stigma. This is the age when therapy is play. We wouldn't be able to get a kid to participate with us if it weren't play. (laughs) If it were drill and if it were annoying and boring, they wouldn't participate. So this is a really good age for social development. This is a really good age for financial reasons. I mean, it's going to be less of an intervention burden further on, and... Currently, I don't want to say anything because I know healthcare stuff is changing day by day. If your kid is eligible and qualifies, the early intervention, by definition, are services for a kid under the age of three. These are provided free of cost and for most situations in the home. Um, Free of cost is because the government has realized that if we address these things from a prevention and an early intervention kind of mindset, that it will be less of a financial burden later. Um, also in the home, the reason why that happens. It's not to make it easier on your moms, but it really does make it easier So, take advantage of it. But this is the natural context where the language would develop. We have to address the kids' needs in the environment that they live in Because if we bring them to a clinic in a white wall, closed box room, and they use their language really well with one other person, that being a trained therapist, and then send them on their way, it's not going to carry over into those other contexts.
1: Mm -hmm. So this
2: free of charge, early, in-home therapy is exactly what this age group typically needs.
1: Absolutely. Yes. And definitely takes a lot of the pa- the parental involvement. Um, and so, you know, <laughs> and you know what, Now we're going to wrap up the discussion right here um, for our regular listeners. And we just want to say, you know, thank you so much, Sarah, for joining us today. For more information about twin developmental milestones, speech and language, or more information about any of our experts or panelists, visit our episode page on our website. Now, this conversation does continue for members of our Twin Talks Club. So for more information about the Twin Talks Club, visit our website, twintalks.com. We've got a uh, special segment uh, that we call Crazy and Annoying Questions That We Twin Parents Hear From People. Uh, Today we have uh, one of our panelists who'd like to share
0: her story. So I'm Shelly. I have identical twin boys, Grayson and Sawyer, and they're almost 15 months now. And my husband and I can't go to Costco without getting literally harassed by anyone and everyone. Um, And the most memorable one, I remember we have, the boys were about I want to say seven or eight months and we have them in the same cart and they're identical and my husband dresses them the same so we already have a big flashing sign on us and we're walking <laughs> down the aisle and this woman walks up to my husband and says, would you like to just hear a horrible story about twins? And he, keeps, um, <laughs> Let's he, he glares at her and he says no and he keeps walking and she, she kind of moves up to him and says, no, it's not, it's not that horrible. It's just that I'd really like to tell you. And, you know, he, he's, he's pushing faster and he's kind of giving her a look and moving and stalker. And he's tall, you know, and so at this point she's almost running to keep oh, up with us. And she goes, no, I really just need to say, it's just that my, my grandmother had three sets of twins, so at least you don't have it that bad, you know? And i you are thinking, what? Is this woman trying to tell, you know, at least it's not that bad. You didn't have three. And so you would think that it, after this exchange that we would have maybe gotten out of there, but we in the corner and there's a woman who kind of saw the exchange and she's one of the women selling the sample, giving the samples out. And she looks and says, oh, twins, yeah, you must get questions all the time. How was your delivery? Oh. <laughs> and at that point, I mean, you just have to laugh and, and move on. So it's kind of a constant, I mean, just the, the personal questions or the crazy things that people tell you. I mean, you you had no idea. And for me, I'm outgoing. It's it's amusing to me but my husband's kind of more of an introvert and he's had... It's been an eye-opening experience
1: for <laughs> So that wraps up our show for today. We appreciate you listening to Twin Talks. Join in on the discussion by posting your comments on the Twin Talks Facebook page or by calling our voicemail at 619-866-4775. And don't forget to check out our sister shows, Preggy Pals. It's for expecting parents. We have the Boob Group for moms who breastfeed their babies and Parent Savers. It's an online support group for new parents. This is Twin Talks Parenting Times 2.
2: and should not be used for diagnosing or treating health care problem or disease or prescribing any medication. If you have questions or concerns regarding your physical or mental health or the health of your baby, please seek assistance from a qualified health care provider.
3: New Mommy Media is expanding our lineup of shows for new and expecting parents. If you have an idea for a new series, or if you're a business or organization interested in joining our network of shows through a co-branded podcast, visit newmommymedia.com. Hey, mamas. Don't forget to check out Mighty Moms. It's our online community built for new moms just like you. Not only can you connect with other moms, but you can also join us backstage for special mom-only online events. And you'll also be notified when we're recording so you can join us as a special guest. Visit our website, newmommymedia.com, and click on the Mighty Moms banner. It's free. That's newmommymedia.com. See you there.